welcome to The Family Planning Files, a podcast developed by the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning. I'm your host, Katherine Atchison. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing the intersection of cardiovascular disease and maternal health with returning guest, Karen Florio, DO, MPH. Dr. Florio is a maternal fetal medicine specialist in Kansas City and an associate professor and assistant program director of the Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellowship Program at the University of Missouri-Kansas City School of Medicine. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Florio. We're so excited to speak with you today. Thanks, Catherine. I'm really excited to be back. To start with, can you tell us a little bit about cardiovascular disease, or as a lot of people know it, CVD in general, and what is most often seen with women who could potentially become pregnant? So I think most people or the general population understands that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women over their life course. I think what's new and what people don't know is that cardiovascular disease is now also the number one killer of pregnant women. So it has surpassed traditional disease states such as hemorrhage, or even hypertension. And for the past several years in every state, we have noted an uptick, not only in cardiovascular disease in a younger population, but also in cardiovascular disease related deaths, both inside and outside of pregnancy. And to get a little bit more in depth on that, how exactly is CVD tied in with maternal mortality and morbidity? What exactly is that mechanism? So I think there is a multitude of mechanisms at play here. So if you think about from a truly pathophysiologic standpoint, and you look at epidemiology reports over time of disease state, we know that obesity is increasing. We know that coronary artery disease is increasing. We know that women are putting off their first pregnancies until later life. We know that there's a higher uptick in IVF pregnancies or assisted reproduction. When you look at the course of disease states across America and their trend, we know that all of the diseases that tend to contribute to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, there is no question why cardiovascular disease is increasing, right? If you look at it from a social determinants of health standpoint, right, we do not cover maternity care very well in this country. Now, that being said, we do cover women while they're pregnant. But if you look at the timing of maternal deaths attributed to cardiovascular disease, it is in the aftermath of the pregnancy most often. Now, there are times when women have heart failure or arrhythmias that lead to adverse outcomes during pregnancy, but the majority of morbidity and mortality attributed to cardiovascular disease occurs in the postpartum timeframe. Now, why is that important to social determinants of health? Well, we know that women in general who are covered by Medicaid, and Medicaid covers 45% of all births in this country, we know that they lose their insurance at 60 days postpartum. So now women are tired, they're not taking care of themselves, and they've lost their access, they've lost their insurance to healthcare providers for that preventative care, and that is most certainly a contributor to cardiovascular disease deaths, right? You think about other social determinants of health. You think about food deserts, right? Food deserts or smoking, those are all increasing. So I think that when we look at the overall picture of cardiovascular-related diseases and death, this is a multi-tiered issue. You know, we have access issues, we have social determinants of health issues, we have disease state issues. And I think that in order to tackle this problem, we've got to take each of those separately. 
You mentioned that a lot of the CVD-related morbidity mortality that's also related to pregnancy actually happens in that postpartum period. So how exactly does pregnancy affect cardiovascular health for women? And again, what are those mechanisms that are present during pregnancy that lead to those outcomes? This is one of my favorite teaching points for our trainees. And I tell them, if you understand the physiology of pregnancy, you'll be able to work your way out of any problem, right? So if you think about pregnancy, pregnancy is a marathon for your heart. It's constantly working harder. So you're trying to build this blood volume because you have to support a growing fetus. When you have more blood volume, you have to pump that blood volume. So your heart's going to be stretched. It's going to work harder. It's going to work faster. And sometimes that is too much for a woman's heart to sustain over a prolonged period of time. So that's during the pregnancy. You know, we quote that cardiac output. So the amount of blood pumped per minute increases by upwards of 50% during the pregnancy, right? That will peak in the third trimester. But then we're not even talking about what happens during labor, right? I always joke with my patients, we call it labor for a reason. It's not a vacation, it's actual work, right? And that is true for the heart as well. So the heart is going to increase the amount of blood pumped per minute because you have pain that's causing, you know, an increase in heart rate or tachycardia. Not only that, if you think about every time the uterus contracts, it contracts so hard and so strong that it pushes all of that blood that's hiding within that placenta or within the arterioles of the uterus itself back into the vasculature. So that'd be like if I took 500 cc's of blood, Catherine, and pumped it into you and then took it away and then pumped it into you and took it away. And that's like every other minute. Can you imagine the heart would be like, what are you doing to me? Right? So cardiac output goes up by another like 30% at that point. Now that's intrapartum. And then you take postpartum, right? So a woman usually is laboring on her back. And when she's laboring on her back, you have essentially the equivalent of two bowling balls sitting on your aorta and all your cable vessels. So when that baby delivers, you release that obstruction that doesn't allow for all that fluid from your feet to come back to your heart. So you're increasing the preload to the heart. Not only that, but all the fluid again, you're squeezing down that uterus and the placenta is gone. So you're auto-transfusing up to 800 cc's immediately back into the system. Couple that with the preload that's coming back from the feet. And you can imagine that'd be like if I gave you, you know, a liter immediately over minutes to your heart. And And you can understand why, when you think about these physiologic processes, why cardiovascular disease is now contributing to death. So if you take everything I just told you and put that on top of a heart that's been working hard because of diabetes, a heart that's been working hard because of obesity, a heart that's been working hard because the woman is 40 when she has her first baby versus 20, right? Now we understand why cardiovascular disease is contributing to maternal mortality at the rate that it is. How does cardiovascular disease also contribute not just to maternal mortality, but other adverse pregnancy outcomes? That's a really great question. So for those women who know they have cardiovascular disease coming into the pregnancy, so let's say they have a congenital cardiac defect they were born with and has been repaired, or let's say they have a known arrhythmia, or they have known coronary artery disease, that group of women, that subgroup of women, we know have a higher morbidity and mortality outcome. And so there is great literature from Europe and Canada kind of outlining those risks. Well, we know that our population, as I just outlined, is very different from women of Scandinavia or women of Canada, right? For one, they have socialized medicine, so their access problem is suddenly gone. But for two, our demographics are very different, right? So for that subgroup of women we know in the United States from a few retrospect analyses is that their risk of preeclampsia is higher, their risk of hemorrhage is higher, their risk of adverse cardiac events 
is higher. So heart failure, arrhythmias, death due to cardiac disease, those are all higher in that group of women with known cardiovascular disease. That is actually where my interest lies. Now, there's a whole nother group of women who have risk factors for cardiovascular disease that didn't get evaluated who have some underlying disorder that hasn't been discovered yet. And that's another subgroup of people who have adverse outcomes. So that's where we're seeing the cardiomyopathy patients, right? So I think that there's two separate group of women who have adverse outcomes. One is known and one is the unknown. And we have to address both of those. As we all know, working in family planning, not every pregnancy is carried to term, but family planning clinicians do see women after they have perhaps had a miscarriage or termination. Should clinicians keep these things in mind after they see women who maybe hasn't given birth, but has been pregnant? I think that's a really good question. I think the answer is yes. So every touch point with a patient is an opportunity for prevention, right? So not only birth control prevention, but if you have a patient who comes in and she's 38, right? And she has a strong family history of cardiovascular disease and she has got a BMI of 40 and she just got diagnosed with prediabetes. That is an opportunity for you to say, what are your future family planning goals and how can we get to a point where we have an optimal outcome? And that may include, maybe I get an EKG. Maybe I send her to a cardiologist for risk stratification. Maybe I do get that echo because she has this strong family history. Maybe I get a BNP. There are things that we can do that we're not used to doing but we are primary care providers, that we should absolutely be risk stratifying them so that we can optimize a future pregnancy. Now, those are for people for the unknowns, right? Now, the knowns, what we can do is say, hey, I know that there are people out there who run heart disease and pregnancy programs. Let's go do a preconception consult with them or even just a preconception consult with an MFM so the patient can understand what risks am I looking at for both me and my baby in the short term, but also in the long term. And I think those are really important points that every obstetrician, gynecologist, any provider of women's health needs to keep in the back of their head is if this person gets pregnant, what are their outcomes going to look like if I don't intervene now? So what are some of those risk factors that can lead to later complications that family planning clinicians should look for in their patients? I can give you an example of a patient. Let's just use an example of a patient to kind of outline this. Let's say you have a patient who comes in and she's 35 and you know she has a bioprosthetic valve, okay? In the short term, things that you can discuss are, you know, what is your history of how you ended up with this valve? You know, if she ended up with a valve because she has lupus, there's a whole lot to address there. You know, you have to discuss her history in the sense that is she a candidate for antibiotic prophylaxis during delivery, which could be very morbid. I can tell you that I have seen women come in with endocarditis and those outcomes are not good. So can we prevent that? I think that is very patient specific, right? And so taking a thorough history would really help delineate, is this a known issue or is it an unknown issue? As we outlined before, there are aspects about a patient that put her at higher risk for adverse outcomes. So we know that obesity in itself, it is a risk factor for cardiovascular disease, but it's also a risk factor for, you know, preterm labor, smaller babies, prolonged pregnancy. So kind of delineating those risks. And then once you identify those risks, directing the patient to providers that may be able to help them achieve a better outcome. Again, we're talking screening. Let's just say, you know, a patient comes in, no known risk factors. What would alert a family planning clinician if whether or not she would need more intensive screening for cardiovascular disease? 
I think, you know, the history really tells a lot, right? So since I've become the director of the heart disease and pregnancy program, one of the things I really pay attention to now that I did not before is that family history. I will take a very detailed family history about are there strokes? Are there sudden deaths? Who is on blood pressure medicine? Because we know that pregnancy is a snapshot into your future. So if you have very strong family history and you couple that with other risk factors such as obesity, diabetes, personal history of hypertension, prolonged hypertension, later onset for pregnancy. We know that race we know is a, in itself can determine outcome. In and of itself is not the predictor. It's the social constructs around it that dictate that. But black women, we know they have a higher rate of maternal mortality and adverse outcomes specifically related to cardiovascular disease. So if I had an African-American lady come in who was 30 years old and she tells me that her dad died of a stroke at the age of 45, that's going to trigger me to say, ooh, this woman is at risk for cardiovascular disease at minimum, I can get an EKG, right? That's a, that's a very minimalistic thing to do, but can give you a lot of information, right? Vital signs. I mean, you can look at their vital signs and say, oh, your heart rate's running at 105 preconception. Why, why is that? Is that normal for you? That can be evaluated. So I think there's a lot that we can do to kind of risk stratify people. And then once we decide, okay, you're more of a moderate risk for adverse outcome, let's get you to maternal fetal medicine or someone who can talk to you about the adverse events that can happen during pregnancy and maybe optimize your care. Well, and that leads us really well into our next question. What sort of counseling and referrals should our family planning clinician listeners provide when they see a patient who might be at risk for problems related to CVD and pregnancy? So we talk about a little bit of that stratifying by risk, if you can go into that as well. Okay, that's a really good question. So one of the things I would recommend for family planning doctors is there's a really good prospectively validated risk scoring system. It's called the Modified WHO. You can get that off any website and it categorizes women into low, moderate, and high risk according to their disease state. And so I would say, and it even gives you recommendations on when to refer patients. So it's a great tool for people who aren't very comfortable in dealing with cardiovascular disease. And now we're talking about the known group, right? Those women who have congenital defects, who have arrhythmias, who are on medications, those types of things. So let's say, for instance, you have a patient who you followed her entire life and she has transposition of the great arteries and she had an arterial switch surgery. She's been tick-tocking along in her life and she's been doing just fine. In fact, she hasn't seen a cardiologist for 10 years. That is a person who would fit into the modified category too. She's a corrected congenital, right? And her risk would be about six to 10%, if I'm quoting it correctly, of having some kind of adverse outcome. And so you can say, okay, this is a person who I think would benefit from a consultation on what other risks would be involved aside from what I have here on my graphic. Now, there are other resources that you can use that I think are really good resources. CARPREG2 model gives you a risk stratification for women with cardiovascular disease. And I like CARPREG because it actually has one social determinant of health in its risk scoring. Are you late into entry of care? And so I think there are several types of risk models that you can use out there to help you guide your management. And I would say anybody who you're even questioning, you know, send those people on for referral. Just some good kind of maybe counseling, lifestyle advice that 
the family planning clinician could offer herself while that patient is waiting to get into a specialist. As we all know, sometimes that takes time. Right. It certainly does. There is not a plethora of specialists out there anymore. So I would say if you've identified a patient who you feel is at risk, you guys do this best. You ask the patient about their family planning goals. When do you plan on becoming pregnant? Are you planning on becoming pregnant? What is the current protection that you're using if you're not planning on becoming pregnant? And so utilizing your skill set to optimize that patient prior to getting to us. I can't tell you how many times we've had patients come to us and they're already pregnant. So working together in a multidisciplinary fashion with our family planning colleagues, I think is amazing. Using your skill set to counsel them. These are the options for contraception that are good for your current disease state. You all know that probably better than I do. And so optimizing them in that sense, preventing pregnancy so that by the time they get to us, we have an opportunity to intervene on those disease states and possibly optimize that. And then together we decide when is the best time that the patient could actually plan for a pregnancy. Wonderful. Obviously, there's so much to learn. Our clinicians might have questions going forward. What are some good resources for clinicians who are looking to learn more or who are looking to point their patients in the right direction so that they can educate themselves? That's a great question. So from a provider-facing standpoint, there are some really great resources out there that can help guide you and just educate you on cardiovascular disease and pregnancy. You know, ACOG has a practice bulletin out on heart disease and pregnancy. I think that the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative or the CMQCC has a bundle on CVD. ACOG and AIM have partnered together to develop a bundle on heart disease in pregnancy. And so there are a lot of resources that are provider facing where you can educate yourself on risk stratification and identifying those patients who need a higher level of care. From a patient facing platform, you know, I always tell patients, make sure you're going to a reputable source. So WebMD is just an example where you get reputable information. I think Dr. Google in and of itself, you know, just randomly looking is not good. So you have to really focus your intention on evidence-based guidelines for patients. I think ACOG is always a really good resource for patients and they can access patient-facing information. That would be something that would be really helpful for providers is to go to ACOG and print out those flyers or purchase those flyers on informing patients about um, cardiovascular disease and pregnancy. One of the things that we do in our clinic that I think is really helpful and is patient facing is just putting up posters on the wall on recognition signs and symptoms of recognizing when you think you may have a cardiovascular related issue. And so I think doing those things in your office, you would be amazed at how often patients just sit and stare at the wall. So getting those things up in your office are really important. So I think there's a lot that we can do to help educate providers and patients both. Well, this has been a very informative chat, but of course, time always does run short. But before you go, Dr. Florio, what would be your top takeaway message for our family planning clinician listeners as they return to their practices? I think being a family planning clinician is an amazing career to have because you get to see the patient through her life course. MFMs only get them for a snapshot in time, but you really have an opportunity to intervene and prevent adverse outcomes. So the one thing I would say to take away is understand that cardiovascular disease is the number one killer for women inside and outside of pregnancy. And so to optimize them by doing the screenings that are recommended, you know, making sure they're getting their cholesterol checked, getting those EKGs, getting those echoes, taking a strong family history and following them through their life course, I think is such a great opportunity to prevent not only perinatal adverse outcomes, but adverse outcomes as we age through our lifetime. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Florio, and for sharing your time and expertise. No, thank you, Catherine. It's always a pleasure.
For more content, including previous podcast episodes, search for The Family Planning Files or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For transcript of this podcast, as well as other online learning activities and continuing education opportunities, visit our website at www.ctcfp.org. You can also follow the National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning on social media, on Twitter at NCTCFP, all lowercase, and sign up for our monthly newsletter, Clinical Connections, on our website. The National Clinical Training Center for Family Planning is one of the training centers established and funded by the Office of Population Affairs to provide continuing education, training, and technical assistance to Title X grantees and service sites. This podcast is supported by DHHS grant number 1FPTPA006031-01-00. The contents of this podcast solely represent the views of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official positions of the Department of Health and Human Services, or DHHS, Office of the Assistant Secretary of Health, or OASH, or the Office of Population Affairs, or OPA. No official support or endorsement of DHHS, OASH, and or OPA for opinions or products described in this podcast is intended or should be inferred. Theme music written by Dan Jones and performed by Dan Jones and the Squids. Other production support provided by the Collaborative to Advance Health Services at the University of Missouri, Kansas City School of Nursing and Health Studies. And finally, thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. We hope that you'll join us next time for another episode of the Family Planning Files.